go. We're ready to go. We're cooking. Everyone, friends, uh, definitely family, <laughs> comrades, listeners. It's Brigham Young Money. Yes, that. Uh, it's Brigham Young Money, and we're back. It's tonight. It's just me and Greg joining you. Um, your dynamic duo. The shit. What's another good name for two people? I don't know, man. My brain's cooked. The uh, ooh, Titanic USA. tandem. Titanic tandem. That's pretty good. Yeah, you're the copywriter here. The uh, courageous couple. Um, we're here, <laughs> and um, yeah, we've got some got some stuff we want to talk about. We want to check in, Greg. How how are things? I know you just told me you got a haircut. It's looking good. Yeah, I uh, I was telling you before. I was on a bike ride, and it was just it it was too hot, dude. And I was like pedaling up a hill, and I looked like the Jordan Peele gif of him just like dripping, just drenched in sweat. It's a good look for you. I was just boiling over, and was just like, nah. <laughs> as soon as I as soon as I got home and cleaned up, I went straight to the barbershop, and I was like, can't do it, man. I'm like. I'm in the spot where I think I'm committed to growing my hair long again. So nice. we'll see what happens. I don't know how long I can commit to it. I think it's this late in the summer and I've made it to like mid-July, exactly mid-July, where I feel like maybe I can just keep this thing going until next year. But we'll see. You see, you say that until we hit mid-August. Yeah. And if we're going by how things have gone so far, we'll be, uh, we'll be, we'll be hitting 110 here pretty soon. So yeah. At least today was kind of nice. We got some like lightning and thunder and rain and chaos. I did get a little a little rain at my house. It was beautiful. I like how yeah. like lately we've been opening every episode talking about the weather. Dude, it's great. I love the weather. <laughs> this is this is podcasting. This is content. This is this is good. Dude, okay, but have you I like I mean our weather compared to like if you see like the flooding that's going on everywhere, this shit is insane. Like I was just watching yeah. First it was Zion and now like Capitol Reef is just underwater. Yeah, but no, yeah, so we have like flash floods all over in this state. But like I've been watching videos from like Japan and now like Germany. They were having like just insane floods. Like 70 people have died in Germany so far from these floods. It's and insane. it's just insane. And I literally just spent like two hours watching different like homemade videos of these floods of like – Somebody filmed a, like a Hummer H2 just getting whipped down this street in Germany, just in these flat. Oh man, it's it's chaos. Anyway, so things are going good, good yeah. globally. Did I'm you glad see that? Uh, some, uh, speaking of flooding, did you see that article that was talking about how there might be like a wobble in the moon's the moon? orbit, which yes. could like cause unprecedented flooding? Yeah, dude. Which, well, because like. Like the tides are super, super high in Southern California, like higher. I mean, and obviously we have rising sea levels, but it like seemed to have jolted higher. So this like wobble thing, if it's like affecting the tides that much, it's nuts because like it's already so high and so many homes in Southern California are just built like right on the water. Right there. Yeah. So, um, but as Ben Shapiro would tell you you can just sell the house once the yeah comes. just sell it i mean it is it's prime real estate it's that's ocean, market it's, solution for uh it's for climate ocean change. front property what that's else you right. literally cannot get any closer to the ocean <laughs> than being underwater that's right that's yeah it's a I great mean, selling point i'm excited for those zillow listings that are just literally um yeah. 
It's going to like, you know, the episode of Always Sunny where Dennis's fucking Range Rover is like out of the ocean. It's a semi amphibious amphibious vehicle. It's going to be we're going to be living in uh, semi amphibious houses there that's, down there. In Southern that's California. actually my new career. So I'm going to go and I'm going to get my uh, my real estate license and I'm going to specialize in waterfront property. And then, you know, I think I'm going to I'm just going to start selling cars, too, but it'll be it'll strictly be semi-amphibious vehicles i'll get i'll start like i'll figure out my career into i'll turn it into like engineering of some kind and we'll we'll start building like submarine like homes on the coastline and everyone can just live in little submarines you know you're gonna be be perfect disaster property brother (laughs) that's a great (laughs) that'd be a great show property brothers but people's who's who's like homes are like falling victim to climate change and like it's just like (laughs) property brothers meets climate refugees dude oh my god they're like figuring out ways they can like you know make a house impervious to volcanic lava that's like erupting or like earthquake proof homes oh man i just lost everything but my budget is still 8.8 million man that's such a good idea <laughs> i love that um so yeah we there's some stuff we want to talk about today we've there's been i mean there's no shortage of things to talk about we could talk about you know um we could we could go over like burgess owens we could uh, wrote an op-ed we could talk about mike lee's op-ed um and maybe we will another day but I've caught um, so much brain poison, like just <laughs> reading right wing op eds. I know, and it's I, still it's still fucking rules that like I mean the majority of them are are about CRT because that yeah, apparently yeah. is that is the wave that the GOP is going to to surf on all the oh, way yeah. up until the elections. Like this is the the twenty twenty two midterms is one hundred percent about white green. I know. I'm I like. I'm really wondering if we'll ever hear anything about it after the midterms, depending on how they go, um, maybe after the next election, the next presidential election, it might just be gone. Like, I, I don't know. Well, um, it'll be gone, especially if like the Republicans end up taking the House and Senate right. back. Like, they'll just yeah. they'll enact legislation, which is just it's you know, it's utterly insane. And even going back to like June, Juneteenth, like the fact that we're celebrating you know, a holiday like that, but like you aren't allowed to teach why it's a holiday in this country Mm -hmm. is it's just so perfectly American. I mean, well, if some of them had their way, we wouldn't have that hall. Like Charlie, we wouldn't have the holiday to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Like if fucking Ted Cruz was president right now, we wouldn't have Juneteenth as a holiday. That motherfucker. Did you see him like blame rising COVID cases on like quote immigrants being released into the community? That was like one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. Isn't he an immigrant himself? Uh, Yeah. This motherfucker, dude. I hate him. He's, He's disgusting. He's like the like Spanish version of Uncle Ruckus from the Doom or from the Boondocks. I know. Oh, I fucking God. hate him so much. Absolutely brutal. Um. So, yeah. Uh. And like the, the CRT stuff is so. It's like really intriguing to me. It's obviously a fucking disaster, and no one knows what they're talking about at all. Um. But I wanted to like I know like a big theme on this podcast are uh, is our dads collective dads (laughs) Um, and like i had avoided politics of all kind uh all kinds with my dad like talking about it for a really long time until 
like it's it probably about a month ago. I can't remember. We started talking about like healthcare, like as a family and like my family's used to like when kind of like heated topics come up or discussion, they kind of like disperse really quickly because it's gone really poorly with my dad and me in the past. Um, but is, this time, is your family, like, like the type of people that don't really, uh, like conflict or confrontation. My mom definitely is. She hates it. Like, cause, cause yeah. I was raised in the exact opposite kind of a household because <laughs> yeah. I grew up in a household in a family full of lawyers, which yep, is yep. like, so they love what, that shit. What yeah. attorneys do. Yeah. So like my dad was a was a poli sci major. Yeah, he was a poli sci major. Went to BYU. He went on his mission to Venezuela. He has like friends in Venezuela and everything. So, like anytime anything even related to like socialism comes up, that's like you're you're already you're like one sentence away from like a Venezuela type discussion. So, um, but we that day we had been talking. We like we were talking about healthcare. It started out like a bit kind of. Um, rocky but we ended up talking just like me and him for like two hours and we were talking about like all these different things um including healthcare in which he's become a lot more critical of our healthcare system which i was uh surprised about but also appreciative of um we i tried to steer the conversation to topics i thought we would agree upon and i tried to really like hit home and like um like i could see i i know like what's being said on like fox news and all that stuff so like i'm trying to like kind of go through these little openings i see as potential um places i can try to change his mind on some things but like one of the things in particular um was like billionaires because it's like now this weird hot topic among like right wingers to like not like some billionaires like the woke ones like you know, yeah, Jeff it's, Bose, it's, yeah. it's, it's just another extension of the culture war. It totally is. But like all of a sudden now they're starting to realize, oh, like maybe we should like break up big tech all because they can't, you know, I mean, the whole problem is that they're like scared of getting banned supposedly, but it's because people... they're mad. They can't say the N word on Twitter. <laughs> well, they, yeah. And they can't post the way they want to without getting banned. And so all of a sudden there's this discussion point around breaking up big tech, which, yeah, of course. And we started talking about like the power that oligarchs have within our society. And like, maybe that's a bad thing. Um, and I like asked him, like, like we talked throughout the question, like, what would, do you think we'd be worse off as a society if we taxed every dollar above 999 million at a hundred percent and no one could become a billionaire, just drawing that line to see like what it, you know, just as a discussion point, we had like a lot of good talks about that. And then, um, you know, then that, that day came and went, we had some nice talks. It went really well. Like we disagreed on a lot of things. We had some common ground. Like we talked about unions. He talked about how Reagan, uh, it was weird hearing my dad criticize Reagan, but like when he essentially closed all the mental facilities in California, when he was governor and like let out essentially a ton of people with very gnarly mental issues, basically to just be homeless on the streets um, he was very critical of that, which I thought was interesting. And he, he and my mom have done like their church calling is with, um, like a halfway house in, in Salt Lake that they, these women that go to this halfway house are like transitioning out of prison. A lot of them have like, um, are chronically homeless as well. And so his, like his views are very interesting and I'm like very intrigued lately, but we have had some like interesting discussions around CRT and we, I like, I know we want to do like a, 
actual episode about critical race theory because I mean it's a huge thing here right it's now. It's going to happen. Yeah, um, and I want to talk more about that then. But and then <laughs> finally, um, it was I think this was on Sunday. I was just like chilling. And my dad was in the same room and he was like looking at his phone and he was like, oh, this is interesting. And I was like, what? And he was like, um, and then he started, he like says, oh, well, like hundreds of people in Cuba are protesting about communism <laughs> or whatever. And I was like, what? I was like, they're protesting communism like right now. He's like, well, they're protesting like lack of va- of uh, vaccines, medication, f- um, food. I was like, huh, that's interesting. I was like, I was like, do you, I was like just as a you know a rhetorical question i was like are the is the embargo still in place just like innocently asking that question are there any extenuating circumstances (laughs) as to why that may be i mean yeah like throughout the course of the pandemic um obviously a pandemic has like the pandemic did so much damage to supply lines um and we see that with so many different like consumer goods in this country um but like also like Cuba in particular developed their own vaccine and was they they were exporting their own doctors to different countries and like the worst of the pandemic. Um, we didn't really talk much about Cuba, but um, that I didn't realize that him him saying that was going to be the start of this entire media cycle for in my consciousness of what's been going on with Cuba. <laughs> I think that was the first day we saw those protests, and then it's just been um, about a week of. Or I don't know when this is going to come out. Probably two weeks. This is just going to be a thing now. Um, talking about Cuba, and so we want to like talk a little bit about this because uh, turns out like almost like ninety nine point almost literally almost every single one of our politicians in this country is awful on this topic, and this includes Bernie Sanders and AOC, just like really missing the mark with their statements about what's going on it's there. Just, and, and the thing that was such so such a bummer about those statements is that like half of it was right in the, like mentioning the embargo, but then like you don't need to entertain the framing. Yeah. Entertain the framing, especially like when it's coming from like higher ups of us government. Yeah, 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 exactly. So like what we're seeing is that essentially um, these protests that are happening because I mean, conditions are bad in Cuba. That's, absolutely correct um i certainly wouldn't classify the protests as being against communism at least not the ones that are in cuba maybe the ones that are in florida but from those early days of those protests we immediately saw like this insane disinformation campaign of like what appeared to be like bot generated posts or posts from like just sketchy looking accounts posting um pictures and videos of these mass protests of like, like tens and thousands of people. And, um, these pictures and videos were often from other cities. Like one was Barcelona, Spain, like another one was in uh, Colombia. And they're like, Oh, like, look at it. <laughs> look at these protests. Like there were, you could, if you zoomed in on these pictures, you could see, Oh, there was even one from Egypt. You could see yeah, an that Egyptian was, flag. That was the one that was my favorite was the yeah. one of, of the Egyptian people celebrating, uh, like the end of, of, uh, Edie Mubarak. Yeah. Yeah. That was nuts. And, and there's these, all these accounts and these accounts just get so many like retweets right out of the gate. So clearly well, and, there was like some weird shit going on. Well, there. And it started like, you know, something is done in bad faith when it's people like Posobiec and oh, yeah. Cernovich and like just the absolute worst right wing 
shit posters who are the ones who are like front and center perpetuating all of this like that alone should be enough of a red flag to know that things aren't as as, yeah. as they seem yeah absolutely um and, and, yeah so we saw i mean just garbage being posted and like um just from a wide variety of accounts these accounts that just popped up that are just like you know all of a sudden about freeing cuba or whatever and, and and this is i mean we always hear we've always heard about like the um the dire need for a democratic and free cuba we heard this when trump did those super weird uh, where he honored the bay of pigs veterans or whatever that was oh but yeah when he said he got their endorsement when it's not even a thing <laughs> i know it was really weird um yeah so th- this has always been a thing regardless of who's president there have been easing one of the good things obama actually did was um easing some of the, like the embargo rules um and it seemed like things were heading in a good direction trump ramped them up to be like stronger than they were before obama so things were pretty much as far as the embargo goes, it's um, and the sanctions we have on Cuba, they're worse than they've ever been. And the UN just recently voted to, you know, whether or not we should have that embargo on Cuba. And every single nation voted that we should stop the embargo other than the United States and Israel. So um, that's cool. good. And that was, of course, under this Joe Biden administration, which... I mean, vote blue no matter who. I mean, it's Um, also (laughs) wild that like the Biden administration is doing this when like one of like the feathers in Obama's cap was like trying to negotiate some sort of uh, relations with Cuba. Yeah, you can tell. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's really weird. Like it. It seems, I mean, even I think, I think it was, uh, I can't remember. I think Crystal Wall posted this, um, this stat, but it said, that 50% of Cubans in Miami, which are incredibly right-wing Cubans, or maybe it was just all of Florida, 57% majority want the embargo lifted. So it's like, yeah, and we'll talk about the White House's statement in a sec, but one of these accounts that popped up, um, which is not just an account, but it's actually like an organization, it's called Center for Free Cuba. Oh, yeah. And it was awesome. It, they, they posted an incredible thread about just like how, you know, awful uh, Castro was, how bad, you know, communism is and how it's destroyed the island or whatever. Um, and they had this one tweet in particular that was really just amazing. And it said, quote, finally, credit given to Castro for end of apartheid in South Africa is problematic. Nonviolent movements had more to do with that than the guerrilla groups that carried out terrorist attacks. I, I, um, yeah. <laughs> sure thing, guy. <laughs> Which is um, just completely rewriting history just right here on Twitter.com. Yeah. Um, and like I will also say uh, like calling it terrorist is so interesting because – um, it's interesting that Nelson Mandela has become like a very revered figure, even among like, um, even among many people on the right at this point, mm-hmm. um, which I mean, it, it's, it's not that crazy. This is how they act with Martin Luther King as well, uh, because clearly like uh, Nelson Mandela's cause was so just for the right wing well, for them. It's seemingly easy, easy for them to admit that uh, he was in the right, but he was called a terrorist by 
the United States at the time. Um, I think by Eng- by by the UK leadership as well called him a terrorist. And then, of course, now it's just a completely rewritten history and about how you know he's just a man of peace or <laughs> and all of that. But and it's um, but it's just the typical right wing. Yeah cherry picking and like you can't and again it doesn't matter because pointing out right wing hypocrisy is yeah, is futile like you can't it doesn't matter you can't shame people who are shameless no yeah there there is no point to it um but it's and like we've talked about this before but the, the quote that they, everyone always quotes from Martin Luther King about judging people on the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. And then let's just ignore literally everything he had to say about capitalism and everything, not only that, but like everything else in the, I have a dream speech. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's insane. It's, it's absolutely insane. So, um, I, I, I like that tweet in particular is such an interesting one because, um, Nelson Mandela and Fidel Castro actually have like an extremely close relationship and BFFs. Yeah. Um, they were great friends. And, um, so there's this, there's this article, this, uh, small little post on, uh, on Telesur's English website. I'm just going to read it real quick. So on Nelson Mandela day, the world remembers the freedom fighter and president who liberated South Africa from apartheid. But many look back with a selected memory of how the former prisoner's story unfolded. The man who former British prime minister, Margaret Thatcher branded a terrorist was a close personal friend and political ally of Cuban revolutionary Fidel Castro. Mandela was inspired by Fidel in the Cuban Revolution in 1959 when he began a South African resistance militia to end racial oppression. Quote, any and every source was of interest to me, Mandela wrote in his autobiography. I read the report of Blas Roca, the the general secretary of the Communist Party of Cuba, about their years as an illegal organization during the Batista regime. In Commando by Dennis Reitz, I read of the unconventional guerrilla taxes of Boer Boer generals during the Anglo-Boer War. I read works... By and about Che Guevara, Mao Zedong, and Fidel Castro. Furthermore, after his release from prison in 1990, Mandela traveled to Cuba to meet his friend in person and to thank him for sending soldiers to Angola during the 1970s and 80s to fight apartheid regimes. Widely believed to be a significant catalyst to the eventual end of, <laughs> of the eventual ending of apartheid, hmm. which apparently uh, Free Cuba, what was that group called? Uh, Cuba Free Center for Free Cuba disagrees with apparently. How many countries benefit from Cuban healthcare professionals and educators? How many of these volunteers are now in Africa? What country has ever needed help from Cuba and has not received it? How many countries threatened by imperialism or fighting for their freedom have been able to count on the support of Cuba? Fidel responded, I have not visited my homeland, South Africa, but I love it as if it were my homeland. In 1994, Fidel was able to return the visit to attend Mandela's presidential inauguration after he, after he was elected as South Africa's first black president. Four years later, on a return to visit to South Africa, he was given a hero's welcome. Delivering a speech to a packed African National Congress, he could barely get through his ad- address for the cheers of Cuba, Cuba, and Fidel, Fidel. So I think that maybe Center for Free Cuba might have some reason as to uh, to downplay Fidel's influence on uh, ending apartheid and Cuba in general, their their solidarity with those living in apartheid. But um, Jordan, uh, missing member of the pod today, the God absolute the king, <laughs> absolute king. He he simply just went to their website and pointed out um, there's a really uh, interesting section. So they have a, a who we are section, and as you scroll down. They have their actual um, 
Cuba center experts, they say. And once you get down to the section titled Friends of the Center, Cuba <laughs> Experts, the first person listed is Elliot Abrams, Fucking a senior fellow Elliot <laughs> at the Council Abrams. of Foreign Relations. <laughs> like, a, like a dude who's such like just a completely well documented war criminal like Listen one to of the fucking worst people to ever walk the face of the earth Listen to this description. Um, a senior fellow at the Council of Foreign Relations, Mr. Abrams covers the Middle East and human rights around the world. He served as Assistant Secretary of State for the Western Hemisphere and for human rights in the Reagan administration and as a Deputy NSA Advisor for George W. Bush. Hmm. So <laughs> I think I just wanted to do a quick reminder of uh, who Elliot Abrams is and the type of people who have a vested interest in you know, advocating for intervention for a, a military intervention um, in Cuba, and I like I will mention. Uh, I want to go through one more article about this after this, but just a brief uh, reminder about who Elliot Abrams is. This is from this is a Jackman article titled "The Tragic Life of the War Criminal Elliot Abrams, the Absolute Coward." Yeah. Elliot Abrams once said the animating force behind his and Ronald Reagan's foreign policy was that the world is a, quote, exceedingly dangerous place. And this is true, largely because men like Elliot Abrams exist. And when, when this article came out, it says, last month, Abrams was tapped by Trump to serve as a special envoy to Venezuela to essentially help steer the Trump administration's slow burn effort to topple that country's government. As Mike Pompeo put it, quote, restore democracy in that country. Because um, that's that's absolutely what America does. Mm -hmm. We have a long, beautiful history of going across yeah. the entire world, and just it's you know it's like we're just, we just sprinkle freedom like it's we do. like it's Tinkerbell's fairy dust. Yeah, we're just we're just good-hearted citizens wanting just to spread democracy and benevolent fighting communism. Patriots. Yeah. Yep. So. Number one, he was knee deep in human rights atrocities. And it, it talks about how, you know, uh, Abrams chief claim to fame uh, in his role as Ronald Reagan's blood soaked foreign policy in Central America in the 1980s, for which he earned the nickname, quote, Contra commander in chief. The Contras were a brutal right wing paramilitary group in Nicaragua who terrorized civilians throughout the decade, cutting a swath of torture, rape and murder aimed at everyone from the elderly to the children. Their methods were similar to those of right-wing paramilitaries in other countries of the region, including El Salvador and Guatemala, all of which were supported by the Reagan administration. Uh, and if you have a stomach to read about them, there's no shortage of, of sources that outline their barbarity. I've uh, so yeah, I've pulled up. I'm on WarCriminalsWatch.org, <laughs> and I pulled up. Uh, Elliot Abrams has a uh, a file. I'm sure and he does. One of the bullet points under the war crimes charges is Abram was the key man in the Reagan administration policy towards Central America. When that administration was abetting what a court recently ruled was a genocide in Guatemala when the U.S. was backing the army of El Salvador in a series of death squad assassinations and massacres. And when the yep. U.S. was invading Nicaragua with a Contra force, that went after what one U.S. general described as, quote, soft targets, meaning civilians and things like cooperatives. So this this is the same guy who's apparently on the board and you know part of this friends of of center of Cuba yeah. Cuban experts but you know 
I mean, and I get it because, I mean, who else could be a better expert and and who could have more authority to talk about guerrilla groups that carried out terrorist attacks than the man behind the Contras? Yeah, 100%. I mean, yeah, like this just goes through continuing saying that like, um, you know, these Contras to him, he called them freedom fighters <laughs> and that their work in El Salvador was a quote, uh, fabulous achievement. Do you think and he, he uh, cr- hangs yeah. out with Anna Navarro? Dude, yeah. I bet she, they're best friends. I bet they're very, very good friends. Um, yeah, like he, he said, the purpose of our aid, which of course is to the Contras, uh, to, is to permit people who are fighting on our side to use more violence, he said in 1985. How involved was he? Uh, he said, I was one of the people, well, I mean, he tries to kind of downplay it a little bit, but uh, the, the the Contras would have floundered if had fit and faded away for it not for the tens of millions of dollars he helped funnel to them, including personally soliciting $10 million from the Sultan of Brunei for their cause. Awesome so, guy. Which, that money actually never made it there because Abrams gave the Sultan the wrong account number, which was really funny. Um, and like, he's still, he's still in government because again, we don't ever hold anybody accountable for their war crimes in mm-hmm. this country. Like yeah. this is a fucking man who should have died next to Milosevic in the Hague. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like he, he, and like it, it continues and says that he helped cover up those, those brutal acts of terror that like came out. And I think we all remember when, uh, Ilhan Omar had a really good, essentially like a grilling of him, uh, in his, yeah. uh, hearing or whatever that was. Um, and was labeled like un-American and undemocratic for doing yeah. so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. of course. Um, yeah, he, he's a, he's a horrendous, horrific person, but like, again, these are the type of people who are, you know, pushing for a quote, free Cuba and have these centers to, that are committed to putting out these fucking Instagram infographics or Twitter threads to basically, you know, say why we need to do regime, regime change. I mean, um, Chomsky yeah. wrote a whole book on it, man. That's right. Um, so, you know, that that's its whole thing. I highly recommend people read up. I mean, I'm, I'm sure everyone listening to this knows about Elliot Abrams. If you don't, I recommend you look him up because, I mean, when he got brought into the Trump administration, it was just like fucking insane. It's just so brazen. And it's um, just like exhibit, uh, you know, unlimited of just like of right wing hypocrisy. Yeah. Like, again, yeah. you can't shame people who are completely shameless. Mm-hmm. You, of course you can't. Like, it's, like they, yeah. they, it's like they exist on a completely different paradigm than you and me. Yeah, they do. It doesn't matter. Like, and people just aren't held accountable for things like in the like actually held accountable. I don't mean like banned from Twitter. I mean, like put in prison and being tried for war crimes. I mean, he was convicted, but I think he was uh, he was convicted for lying to Congress. But I believe he was probably received pardons by someone. I'm not sure. Um, so uh, like a big piece in, of this all, whole Cuba thing is always Florida. So Florida is always, you know, um, a refuge for right wing uh, Latinos, Latinas to like essentially um, talk about how uh, evil communism is and how um the United States essentially need to do regime change in every Latin American country. And you can find uh, like a ton of these um, Latino people who are willing to make this case because they were ones that, um, or their family 
were um, victims of the res- of the revolutions, probably for a good cause. Um, yeah, they were they were Batista donors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you see Anna Navarro in particular supporting yeah. the Contras, and it's like, do we? Why would we listen to you about anything? Like, you, my favorite anyway. is like you'll see some guy on Twitter named like Fernando De La Renta with like blonde hair and blue eyes talking about yeah. like my country Cuba needs democracy now. Please yeah. at yep. Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Like the young yep. Chomsky tweet was the best. Oh, with the. <laughs> The fuck? Have you watched all of this the oh, second yeah. season? With, oh, with, yeah, <laughs> he got a, a still from I think you should leave the. Uh, Where he's in the fucking he's suit. In, uh, yeah, he's in the Carl Havoc. <laughs> God, you must fucking shit on me. <laughs> I didn't rig shit. Oh my god, that that I've watched that like five times now. That specific sketch it makes me like cry <laughs> laugh every time. I don't, it's I so don't, good. I don't even want to be here. I don't, I don't want to be here. Um, yeah, so we, we've seen protests in Florida going down. Um, I it was really funny. I, like it was a little nail on the head. Uh, but um, at, at one of these protests, there was like the thin blue line flag being fl- flown around, which is just so funny. Um, and like we like the the news media that has like a vested interest in you know uh, conflict with Cuba. Of course, it glamorizes a lot of these protests in ways that, like, they would never do for protests that did happen here. And, like, um, you know, traffic was completely blocked by these uh, right-wing Cuban protesters or people that want regime change in Cuba or whatever, beautiful or intervention from the United States. They're blocking the entire freeway, which is something that DeSantis criminalized because of the Black Lives Matter protests last summer. But of course, like. None of these people were like arrested or or brutalized in any way, which they shouldn't be. But it's just insane how like even when they pass these insane laws against protests, it's still so fucking like targeted about who actually gets to fall victim to the brutality that they've added on top of the extra brutality. And correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't there some legislation now in some states that says like you can literally hit a protester with your car? Yeah, I know we did one here or whatever. That's just, yeah, it's just insane shit. Cool. That essentially just allows people to commit, commit vehicular manslaughter with your car. Um, if you feel like you are intimidated or whatever, I think that's like one of those copy paste yeah. uh, legislative things they were moving around last summer. Emphasis um, on the cop. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but then like, of course, we get to like the, what the White House has to say about this and uh, Jen, Jen Psaki, she said, oh, communism is a failed bomb. ideology and we certainly believe that. So I want to get to uh, like one of the last things I want to talk about with, um, Cuba. There's another Jacobin article from Ben Burgess and I'm going to, I, I want to go through this one because I think, again, we mentioned the sanctions and the embargo at the beginning, but He spells it out really well here. It says the U.S. must end its brutal sanctions against Cuba, not intervene there. As protests break out in Cuba, some politicians are calling for a U.S. intervention. That would be a disaster. The best thing that the United States can do to help the Cuban people, which is what we claim to do. Like anytime you hear anyone, you know, like we supposedly care so much about the people of Cuba. Ben says it here is like the best thing we can do is lift its brutal, inhumane embargo. On Sunday, the largest anti-government protest in at least 27 years broke out in Cuba. 
Thousands of people marched in the streets chanting slogans. Others overturned police cars or looted stores. It's too early to make definitive pronouncements about the political character of these protests. Quite likely, the people in the streets represent a mixture of factions with very different complaints and long-term agendas. One thing is clear is that the shortages in food, medicine, electricity, and other basic goods were the immediate spark for the protests. In parentheses, the stores have been looted or controversial because they sell expensive products to foreigners who can pay in a currency that most Cubans don't possess. American politicians who long to topple the Cuban government have been pointing to these conditions as they call for intervention. For example, Cong Democratic Congresswoman Val Demings, vote blue no matter who, uh, he didn't put that. That's that's me editorializing. <laughs> he represents Florida's 10th district, has linked the protesters' calls for, quote, freedom from disease, poverty, and corruption to the need for freedom from tyranny and dictatorship. To, se to secure these freedoms, Demings argues, the White House must move swiftly. That's really interesting that she says it's, that. It's, I mean, it worked great in Vietnam. It worked yes. great in Iraq. It mm -hmm. worked great in Afghanistan. You know, it worked great in, great. In, in Panama and Guatemala and Nicaragua and El Salvador. And Our military occupation of Haiti has gone went, just has gone really well for a long time. Yeah. I mean, it worked great in Libya. Yep. So, I mean, why not? Mm -hmm. Why not we should, just, we just do roll? It. I mean, roll the dice. <laughs> sure. YOLO. Um, <laughs> but what sort of swift action does she want Joe Biden to take? She can't mean that the United States should impose crippling economic sanctions on Cuba or, or that it should support and provide sanctuary to terrorists who carry out bombings and assassinations on the island. All of that's been happening since the Kennedy administration. Yep. Yep. It's hard to see what's left on the table except direct military intervention. Miami Mayor Francis Suarez has been more explicit. Quote, the people of Cuba, he says, need some sort of international help, including the intervention from the United States in, quote, some form or fashion, whether it's food, medicine or militarily. Cuba has a long and heroic track record of shipping medical aid to other nations. Sending food or medicine to the island during its own crisis would be an excellent idea, especially since U.S. policy is one of the direct causes of the shortages. But a military intervention would be a disaster on every possible level. Socialists value free speech, multi-party elections, independent trade unions, and workplace democracy. We shouldn't deny that Cuba's society is flawed in these and, and other ways. Nor should we assume that every frustrated Cuban who's taken to the street is CIA puppet or an advocate of privatizing Cuba's healthcare system. But anyone who thinks U.S. intervention would lead to a better outcome and not vastly worse ones has lost touch with reality. To see what kind of government U.S. meddling would help produce, look at neighboring Haiti, whose president the U.S. Marines removed in 2004. Anyone who believed the U.S. intervention in Cuba would bring about a stable, prosperous, liberal democracy first needs to explain why Haiti is racked by dystopian levels of poverty, inequality, corruption, and political violence. And I think this ties back to like what Jen Psaki said in particular. She said, communism is a failed ideology. But for some reason, like we've always believed that and we were told that over and over again. That socialism doesn't work, that communism doesn't work, but we can't seem to just let it fail on its own for some reason. If it's yeah. so bad, it, if it's so bad, then ostensibly we could just leave it alone and surely it would it would destroy itself because no dictator, no, no authoritarian has any vested interest in pur purposely starving their citizens because that just creates the conditions for a revolution, for a coup. So like, it's curious that we just can't seem to let communism do its own thing. But despite all that, I mean, it's been 60 years of sanctions, embargoes or whatever on Cuba, and they're still kind of hanging in there. Obviously, things are bad, but things are going to be bad when you're 70 miles off the coast of the United States and 
are completely barred from any sort of trade with them and its allies, which is like most of the world. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's not like you're Cuba is just shut off from America. America has made it. So if you do business at all with Cuba, you cannot do any business with America, which is still a global superpower and one of the biggest economies in the world. And I mean, just to your point yeah. about like if socialism and, and communism don't work, then like it would just fail on its own. It just it always reminds me like in situations like this of like it's the Eric Andre meme, you know, yeah. of just him shooting Hannibal Burris and be like, why would you do this? Yeah. You know, like we, we really impose is. all of these sanctions and this embargo and, you know, absolutely kneecap. It's the exact same shit that's happening right now in Venezuela. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we said the same thing in Vietnam and fought an entire fucking war there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 100%. you know, and then we wonder like and then and then we'll point the finger and say like, well, obviously this doesn't work. Yeah. Like we fought yep. multiple wars in this country. Like the FBI was basically founded on stopping communism. Yeah. Like this is what America does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, he continues, it says, if anything, a serious attempt to topple Cuba's government to impose a U.S. friendly alternative could end up looking less like America's ugly but relatively short term interventions in Haiti and more like the war in Vietnam. Cuba's government came to power through a popular revolution that still has a significant base of support. It's preposterous to think the United States could overthrow that government without large numbers of people taking up arms in response. America's forever war in Afghanistan has been going on for almost two decades. The waves of bloodshed and chaos caused by the 2003 invasion of Iraq are still with us. That anyone could believe in 2021 that intervening in Cuba could make things better is a chilling testament to the blinding power of ideology. Um. Yeah. If the U.S. government truly wants to help the Cuban people, there's an easy and obvious way. End the sanctions. Every single one of the shortages that protesters are talking about has at least been worsened by the U.S. embargo. The answer is not more intervention. It's less. Right-wing anti-communists often want to have it both ways. On one hand, they deny that the embargo is, is a significant contributing factor to hardships in Cuba, arguing that the shortages are almost entirely caused by flaws in Cuba's system. On the other hand, if they insist that it's essential, the embargo stay in place. But why? If it really has no major effect on Cuba's economy, how could it be an important tool to pressure the Cuban government to meet U.S. demands? If it really isn't exacerbating the island's economic problems, why not prove that by normalizing trade relations? And then he mentions how U.N. voted overwhelmingly to call on us to lift the embargo. We in Israel voted no. And he can, he ends it with saying, it's time to listen to the world's condemnation. The embargo needs to end. And absolutely, we <laughs> absolutely yeah. needs to end. Like this is, this is like a six-decade like – uh, rage fit because ultimately America got its feelings hurt when mm-hmm. there's another way of life that has proven that it can work. And it just so <clears throat> happens to be, you know, 90 miles off the coast of, of Florida. Yeah. 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 I, I, I cannot recommend the second season of blowback more. It's so I mean, both good. seasons of blowback, but if you have any interest in listening to, I mean, like they just describe themselves as a podcast about American empire, but first season is about Iraq. Second season is about Cuba. One, like one of the best, like produced podcasts I've ever listened to. And then two, just the content within it is just, um, it's incredible. So, it's so well-researched. It's so, can't, can't so really, well done. Yeah. Highly. It's all, it, I think the entire second season, other than the bonus episodes are out publicly on all podcasts. So, um, 
yeah, it's just the best. But like, it's so interesting to hear how like our just people here in general, but also like the media and everything talks about protests in other countries versus how they talk about protests here. Like last year, we had some of the largest, most widespread and longest running protests in the history of this country throughout the entire, almost the Mm -hmm. entire year. Like once, like late spring into fall was just like, there were protests throughout this country everywhere. And we had more people in the streets than like ever before. Um, And apparently anyone who thinks that like protests in other countries means like the government needs to be toppled. They would never entertain the idea of someone in another country thinking about that same thing about America. Like anyone could easily look at the United States from outside of the United States, see the protest movement that happened last year and be like, wow, shit's really fucked up over there. And they'd be right. But like, we would never let anyone entertain that idea or that thinking that like, Oh, um, there that's grounds for a UN military removal of our president or something like that. Like it's just preposterous. We always think we're in the right, no matter what as yeah. a country. So I remember, I, I forgot who tweeted it, but it just kind of came to mind last year during all of the protests and we see all the police violence that was going on. And I think it was, I don't know. It was like, a video from like what the police were doing in Minnesota post George Floyd. Yeah. And somebody like quote tweeted it and said like, this is the, the part if this was any other country where the U S would invade. Yep. Like that's where we're 100%. at. This, that's, that's where we're at in this country. And, but again, due to, due to ideology and due to American exceptionalism, like we're the country that is without flaw. Yeah. hundred percent. Like we, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, can't can't say it better than that. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's really it's really annoying listening to how we like romanticize protests in other countries. Um, yeah, it's it like even around like the protests, like in the riots that are happening in Haiti right now, due to like their president getting assassinated. Like we talk about these things in such different ways, and like what we saw last year when, I mean, we had cops, I mean, in response to cops killing people, we had cops killing more people in the streets, killing protesters, injuring protesters, injuring, uh, fucking journalists. Like it was, it was insane last year. We saw, we saw like Trump's administration and his like crew, like tear gas, a fucking fucking, clergyman. So they could take a picture outside of a church or do a video out there. Like it was like seriously some of the most authoritarian shit that we've seen anywhere in a long time, all summer long. Fucking but like Tom Cotton yeah. was tweeting about sending the the military into yeah. like every city in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just like those don't count for anything because yeah. America the, the it's it's founding, its constitution, and the government are always in the right. We might make mistakes, but we're guided by constitutional principles that are inherently correct and right so uh yeah we 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 can't do anything wrong because we have this blessed document it's it's really written by a bunch of slave owners with fucking mm -hmm. wooden teeth who shit in buckets yeah it's it's just it's horrendous but um yeah and like we we'll, we'll probably talk more about this as like stuff unfolds um and yeah, there's a lot to be said. I, I, it'd be interesting to talk about Haiti too, because there's wild shit going on there. Yeah, but, we need to touch on that uh, for sure. It's insane. I know it's it's absurd. But um, and like I'm assuming I, I'm just waiting for our. I don't know if Burgess Owens has shit, said shit about Cuba. I'm sure sh- I'm, I'm sure he has. I haven't been watching. I'm waiting for Spencer Cox to say something. That's going to be pretty funny. 
Um, but we want to end on this uh, other this topic and article um, by Owen Higgins on his uh, Substack. Um, just because this is something that's been coming up a lot lately, and I, I heard it get brought up again because the COVID relief's uh, child tax credit payments are gonna are have like started going out this week. Shout um, out to the three hundred dollars that landed in my bank account this morning, dude. That's nice. I uh, wish I had a kid for that reason. Filled up my but... gas tank. Went and got some groceries. <laughs> nice, phenomenal. So this article from Owen says it's called We All Quit. Nebraska Burger King workers resign in protest of company mistreatment. And the, the subhead is just, it's just incredible what standing up for your rights can do. Burger King workers in Lincoln, Nebraska quit in mass when their general manager, Rachel Flores, gave her notice after months of mistreatment from higher ups. On the way out last week, Flores put up a message that went viral on social media using the Burger King sign to announce, quote, we all quit. Sorry for the inconvenience. <laughs> what a fucking queen. I love that. Oh. Kylie Johnson, an employee and, and Flores's best friend, told me the remaining staff saw the way higher ups treated uh, saw the way higher ups treated Flores and decided to give their notices when she gave hers. She was the glue that held us all together. And after seeing the way she was being treated, we couldn't fathom being under that type of management. Johnson said. A pattern of abusive mistreatment. In an interview with local affiliate KLKN, Flores described a workplace culture where regional management didn't seem to care about staff and pushed her to work fifty to sixty hours a week. Flores said the Burger King had employees working in the kitchen with no air conditioning for weeks. At one point, the kitchen reached over 90 degrees. Flores ended up in the hospital for dehydration. She said her boss reacted, saying she was being a, quote, baby. In a statement, Burger King said the conditions were not in line with company policy. Quote, the work experience described at this location is, is not in line with our brand values, Burger King said. Our franchisee is looking into the situation to ensure this doesn't happen in the future. But the problems go deeper than just brand values not being rep being respected by one team of managers. Quote, they have gone through so many district managers since I've been GM, Flores told KLKN. No one has come to the store to help me out. They're so in and out. Johnson agreed. She told me that the managers didn't have the first idea about how to run the store, but still made the decisions. These managers, quote, these managers are also new and have no idea how to run anything at a Burger King, Johnson said. They can't even ring something up at the register. Management begged the staff to stay on, offering them a dollar raise and then pleading with them to stay mm. and train new people. But the workers refused, finishing out their two weeks and leaving. To Johnson, management's comments sounded like the company was trying to shame her into staying. Quote, I felt as if they were trying to insinuate that I was being lazy because I had told them that I didn't want to go work. I didn't want to work two jobs and go to full to school full time anymore. Johnson, who was who works at Ruby Tuesdays as a waitress and is attending school for business management, told me. Quote, it sickens me seeing how these people want to run a business versus what I'm learning in school, she added. It seems they're more about the dollar than about people, and that's sad. The news attention to the sign and the walkout made Johnson feel solidarity with her fellow workers. Quote, I do believe it's power that can exist in numbers, especially now with social media and the way it is, Johnson said, adding, it's just incredible what standing up for your rights can do. And like, I, so I, I've heard like little comments here and there from from people just like like family or just like uh, a, a friend of mine had a coworker say something to him about like um, just about how you know bad things are in the service industry and how all these people just aren't going to work anymore because of all the money they received from the unemployment checks or from the two time stimulus payments Which or from whatever bullshit. Yeah, of course it's it's absolutely bullshit. It's but our own governor. The reason why like we bring this up is because our own governor was talking about how you know he had to throw some red meat to the fucking hounds and was making the case that like 
it was the government or it was the 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 covid relief money was the reason that like uh, a lot of places are struggling to hire in the service industry right now completely disregarding the fact that so many other sectors of the economy grew so much and hired like people were the the the, the occupation most likely to die during covid from covid was, were people working in the food industry line cooks. line cooks specifically line cooks. which like think mm-hmm. think about it if you've ever worked in the restaurant industry and like you're 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 moving at a super fast pace and you're right next to each other. Like most kitchens aren't very big and you're sweating on top of each other. And it's just like an absolute breeding ground for COVID. So there's, and like, especially when it comes to, to the restaurant industry, like this is not an industry where you can call in sick. You don't have benefits and you like, you can sometimes switch your shift but like you – there's no such thing as like calling in and being like, hey, I can't work today unless right. like you've lost a limb. Mm-hmm. Like I remember yeah. I remember being a server and like having to wait tables one night like while I had a migraine and like I would have to step out in between like bringing people their food to like go yep. in the bathroom and vomit. Cause I was so sick. And then, and then people tipping you like shit. Cause you weren't like, yeah, you weren't peppy or whatever. Yeah. Because I get somebody like the fucking sports bros saying yep. that like, you know, I have to do a song and dance to, to get like 20%, to get 20% yeah. and somehow like, when did this become the norm? First off, mm-hmm. suck my fucking dick. <laughs> yeah. Second of all, yeah. you're a shithead. Yep. Yeah. The, like, I mean, it's insane. Like, so I, I think I'm not sure what it is now, but I, I think wage for uh, for like wait staff right now is two fifty in Utah. Last last time I checked, it was two thirteen. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's poverty wage. Yeah, and then and then relying on on people tipping to cover cover that, which is just absurd. So, of course, the concept of like. You know, people have been able to leave the service industry, leave the food industry and find jobs elsewhere. And that's that's represented by the unemployment numbers that we have. Mm-hmm. Clearly, we do not have this like massive people that's just not working. We our unemployment numbers are incredibly low. People are people have found other jobs. So it's not like it's not like it's uh you know, people are just staying home. And even if they were like, what of it? Because service industry jobs like when you read stories like this from people like this, like, of course, people don't want to work these jobs and not for that the, money. The, no, not for that money. And the fallacy that it's like just a job for like teenagers or whatever is completely false. And then like, and, yeah, you, you see this in what people in the service industry have to go through. And then you think about their, you know, most servers, at least here in Utah, making $2 and 13 and cents an hour and being beholden on tips. And then you hear things like the Biden administration not raising the minimum wage when like cooks and servers are getting COVID and dropping like flies for what? For, I know for to, to walk home with a hundred dollars in your pocket after 10 hours of work. No, fuck that. That's awful. It's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, I mean, yeah. There's, there's zero surprise why people would be trying to get out of this industry, um, and people have been. So, like, now we have this actual shortage of people who are willing to work these jobs for these wages, and like, they're having to force 
I mean, it's forcing them to have to try to make things more competitive and a lot of places are going to close, but it's for the better. Like places shouldn't just, places don't have a right to exist just because they get away with paying poverty wages to people and can treat people um, horrendously, like both in working conditions and with pay, with hours, all of that. They didn't like no business just has a right to exist because they've found people that they can fucking exploit like that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sorry, but the, the free market goes both ways. Yeah. It really does. Like people are going to find better jobs and it appears that a lot of people have. And like, um, I'm just so fucking tired of hearing about like, you know, the entitlements or whatever, like, like the COVID money being any sort of, yeah, it's, it's just complete bullshit. And like coming from people who paid $243 to go to four years of college. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, yeah. So that's a heartwarming story that I like to hear. I liked the sign. I liked the, uh, I liked all of it. I'm glad. Solidarity with all of them. You're all royalty. (laughs) They are, they are part of the Royal family. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well, I think that's, uh, that'll about do it for tonight. Greg, do you have any parting thoughts, my friend? No, that honestly, like, we usually this this tends to be a bit doom and gloom on this podcast you know we're just we're bastions of negativity we have dark hearts um and that burger right. that burger king story to me positive i know i like, like it. i got a smile on my face like that's the thing to do go tell your boss to I fuck know. off yep telling more bosses to fuck off would be uh is, would make the world a much better place 100% well, my friend, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, everyone, for uh, listening for another week. And if Jordan were here, he would say, uh, choose the left. So I'll say that right now. Choose the left. Greg, have a good night, my friends. And we'll catch everyone next time. Take care. Bye.